Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. back to the Name is Podcast. This is Alicia. And this is Sierra. And we are here with episode two of season three. How you doing? How you feeling? I am feeling great. This time change got me oh, right. all the way messed up. In that the was window. today. Technically, it's what? It's supposed to be like four, four o'clock right now. Six. <laughs> well, it's the last time we ever have to do it, so there's that. Yeah, that was- but you want to drop the socials right quick? Yeah, follow us on Facebook, official Nameless Podcast, and on Instagram, Nameless underscore podcast underscore. We are only nine followers nine. away from our 100 people on Instagram. So whoever is our 100th person, you get free merch from us. So Probably t-shirt. Yeah, probably t- it's going to be nice. So And we are still doing the 400th on um, Facebook too, right? Yes. Okay, so there's three shirts out there. Yes, because on Facebook, if you help us get the 400th, you get one as well. So. Exactly. so go on over to those pages and also check out our YouTube, The Nameless Podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't really posted much on YouTube. We, we always a video say coming, every, every single episode. I'm editing a video right now. That's right, you are. Yes. All right, y'all, so stay tuned for that. Okay. <laughs> you want to let them know what we're talking about yes. today? Yes. So today's episode is about nursing in America. Nice. What, what do they go through? What are the struggles? Because, you know, after COVID, a lot of things have been going down in the nursing field. It's going down. It's going dizzy now. <laughs> but yes, we do have two guests with us today. Actually, one of them is our sister. Sister. And uh, another person that remains, or not remains, okay, I'm yeah. stroking out already. We just started. That wants, wants to, to be yes. anonymous. So if you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Oh, so I'm Nicole. I'm the sister. I'm an LPN. I've been an LPN going on 
almost my fourth year now, but I've been working in healthcare for about 10 years. I started as a CNA, and right now I'm an LPN, and I work in pain management and addiction. And I am Nicole's friend, and uh, I started off as an LPN, and I'm currently an RN, working for a pretty big, like, company in America. So, I was like, I mean, on both levels, like, there's some situations, but I don't know. Some of them are a little bit different, but some of them are just universal well thank you guys for coming on today's episode i'm so excited to get this conversation started and what all is going down right now i want to know because i work the corrections so like i know that aspect but like oh like with like healthcare and corrections yeah that is still crazy too well, I feel like there's always been cracks in healthcare, but ever since COVID, like, it's like someone took a bat and just, like, made it even worse, and the companies and, like, facilities basically just put Band-Aids on them, and, like, we can keep doing this, this is fine. Right. Yeah, and also, I just, I don't know what she said about the cracks in healthcare. They've always existed. Um, as I said, I started 10 years ago, I started as a CNA, so that's literally the bottom of the healthcare totem pole really but I want to shout out to all my CNAs because that is the toughest part of healthcare I think and they are the backbone but it's literally what initiated me to want to become an LPN or a nurse move forward in my career is because it's hard to advocate for your patients as a CNA because you know you think that all the issues that you face like in your facility where you work it trickled from the nurses but it's really not now that I'm a nurse I know it comes from the people that run the facilities that you work in they're the ones that sit in their offices and don't really have an idea of what goes on in the facility because when they come in it's very glamorized as to how it's ran Um, they are called nurse administrators and they are normally people who have never been nurses, CNAs, anything in the medical field at all. And they are the ones that are telling you what to do. They normally just see like patients as numbers. And so say like as an LPN, I worked in a few nursing homes and there's no ratio, nurse to patient ratio in North Carolina. So they could give you a hundred patients. And if you clock in, they're like, well, then you accepted your assignment. So, like, you can go to work and they'll be like, well, normally it takes, like, this long to, um, like, deal with a patient. But, like, they're not taking into account, like, the acuity. So, say, like, I have a patient that we call walkie-talkie so they can walk, talk, they're independent, they can use the bathroom by themselves. But then I have a patient who's, like, on a trach, can't walk, can't talk. I have to clean them up because sometimes they only give me one CNA per probably like 40 people in a nursing home and then currently at the hospital our situation is like I was even at work last night we didn't even have a CNA so I have six patients all different acuities you have to do like basically what the CNA would do on top of your yep. RN duties yep so you just said that you worked in a hospital Nicole where do, you, where do you work now what do you actually do so well Right now, she's, like, floating. Oh, what do I do? Yeah, what do you do? Yes, Nicole. Nicole. Oh, okay. So, me, I work work in a clinic setting. So, I work in a clinic setting where we treat pain management and addiction. So, what I do is very taboo, I guess, in healthcare. Um, Pain management is very stigmatized. Addiction is very stigmatized. And we treat them both 
you know, in conjunction with each other. So we do have some patients that come in for chronic pain, um, and we treat that. We have patients that come in for chronic pain, but they're also suffering from an addiction issue because, you know, years ago, everything was so unregulated and loose with, you know, opioids and how they were prescribed. Um, And after, you know, a certain period of time, they would say, okay, well, you shouldn't have this much pain and cut you off. So then, you know, people turn to seek to treat their pain independently. They get whatever they can and, you know, whatever makes them comfortable and relieves the pain and the stress of the pain. Right. And I know we have had conversations like just, you know, as a family type thing talking about this, but I did find something here that says approximately 21% to 29% of patients misuse opiates prescribed by for chronic pain. So, and I think like a lot of people say that like marijuana is the gateway drug to like heroin, but in all actuality, it is those doctors prescribing those opiates and then when they run out, they're going to go through withdrawal, all that, and then they turn to heroin or street drugs because it's cheaper and it's easier mm-hmm. to get. So, I mean, what would you say is like your, I guess you can say, um, statistics on how many patients you see that that is the case, you know, as related yeah, to like just the chronic like, pain yeah. in general? Um, Like that, have an addiction issue? Yeah. Is that the question? Yeah, yeah. So I would, ooh, that's kind of like a high number, especially in the area that we are. I think it, it really is based off of like where you are really as well. Um, but I would say that we have, oh gosh, I'm not even sure the exact percentage, but I would say at least like 25% of our patients that we treat for chronic pain, um, we are treating, you know, for opioid use disorder as well. And it was all situations um, like I had a knee replacement, um, the doctor prescribed me, um, you know, Percocet, whatever, for every four hours. And, you know, then I started feeling sick after they stopped giving them to me when I completed, like, physical therapy and was released. So I went to the hospital and they prescribed me the same thing. And then I went to my primary care doctor and he prescribed me the same thing. And, you know, then it turns into seeking for the medication because their body has developed a dependency that wasn't addressed. They weren't tapered off of the medication. They were given a high dose to start and continued through um, with that high dose treated for, you know, however many weeks. And it's very quick to develop the dependency. Like your body goes through withdrawal depending on the amount of medication that you're taking. I mean, it happens, and they just say, well, that's it. So, so I got a question have, for both of y'all, then, because mm-hmm. you both work in the healthcare field. Do you guys see more female patients or, like, male patients? Like, yeah, and is it, like, different as far as what Nikki does and the anonymous guest does? Like, yeah. Like, I mean, if you're in a hospital, I would imagine it's pretty equal, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, for me, it's pretty much 50 50 um yeah that's about it but um probably it's for nicole to finish i guess i would say that we have a lot a lot more of my patients i think are just very yeah it's 50 50 really it's like men and women but the age range is just like phenomenal it's not like a very young age or an older age like we have patients that we treat that are 
23 years old for opioid use disorder and it was because they had like a car accident and an injury and then it's a male and then we have a 72 year old female who has been treated for rheumatoid arthritis for years with you know pain pills from her primary care um people with like cervical surgeries who just like are now just on pills forever because no one taught them anything different than that like this is what you're really like you have to rely on it now right wait yeah real quick though i just now that you guys are talking about that too like with as far as like surgical things are concerned when i was in like i think it was like 10th grade remember amanda Mm -hmm. um she got into a major car accident right outside our school they hit a tree when it was raining and her like i think yeah her carotid artery was hanging on by a thread and she couldn't get um like airlifted to fill it up like to chop or whatever because it was raining outside so they took like a two-hour ambulance ride she made it but she was in the hospital for about like six months after that because she had a collapsed lung she had a lot of like facial issues with like scarring and stuff but one of the main reasons why she never came back to school that year is because she was on the pills and she couldn't she couldn't stop taking them like everybody in the school knew, oh, Amanda's good. Exactly. Right. And everybody was like, oh, Amanda's like alive, but she's literally struggling with getting off of the pain medication that they had her on, which is like understandable. I mean, I, I got my wisdom teeth out and my mom took my codeine pills I away mean, like day two. When I got into my car accident, I didn't even take, I didn't even get my prescription because right. I don't want to take, to take that pain medicine. Yeah, I right. can't. But I mean, that's the thing, like, we have that support system at home, and a lot of patients, it seems like that um, Nikki deals with, is, like, they don't have that person, like, overlooking them, I guess you can say. So, like, how do you talk to your patients, then, in that regard? Like, hey, do you ever have to, like, screen them for misuse of the medication? Or or how do you get them off? How how do you wean them off of it if they are on it too much, I guess? So I'm glad that you asked that question because when I tell people I work in pain management, they're like, oh, wow, so you guys are a pill mill. And I really hate that description of what we do because we do not. It's totally not what people expect. Um, They think people just check in, get pain pills, and then go home, and that's it. But we actually, like, we monitor every single one of our patients so closely. We make them bring their medications with them to every single visit. We count them, we document it in their charts. Um, We're constantly doing assessments, um, you know, and we always ask them, like, do you feel as though you're addicted to your narcotic medication? Um, Have you ever, you know, taken anything besides what is prescribed to you for pain relief? Does this, is this still effective pain relief? We do a pain assessment every single visit. Um, A lot of our patients, we do CALS assessments. Um, especially if they're very young. A CALS assessment, that's uh, like an assessment to see basically if you're in withdrawal. Um, We check their heart rate. We ask them if they've had any like stomach cramps, nausea, vomiting, chills, hot flashes, things like that. We check to see if they have um, tremors. Um, We ask them, you know, what time of the day was the last time you took your medication? Things like that. How many hours is it effective? Like, we, we try to be as thorough as we can to determine whether this medication is effective for their pain. Um, we try, you know, the providers try to keep them on just, you know, what the lowest sufficient dose. And we also offer a lot, like a ton of alternative treatments to oh, just pain good. medication. So you like... So not everything... Them. 
Yeah, exactly. So we do like laser therapy treatments. We send people to aquatic therapy, physical therapy. Um, You know, more like holistic. Yeah, a lot of holistic treatments are offered to them. Um, Some patients just are like, oh, well, I hurt this knee years ago and the doctor's just been giving me this medicine. So we're like, okay, well, let's send you to an orthopedic so that we can have a real investigation. And a lot of times it's something simple like their meniscus is torn or, you know, something simple that, yeah, they can treat it with surgery or a small procedure and then, bam, wow, now we can wean them off of their medication and they don't need it anymore. Um, things like that. Um, I'm going to do a backflip off of this. So from my perspective, like, I completely understand that people have their issues. People get started on things and it's not really their fault. But so from another point of view, so in the hospital, like, we're short staff. We don't really have, like, support staff. So for us, um, I mean, like, addicts are really hard patients to take care of. They're very demanding especially like when they, like, they come in, they're in a withdrawal phase. Um, a lot of the times, um, IV drug users will get an infection, but then they have to stay there for an extended period of time because we have to put a central line in them and we can't send them home with that because that's the easiest access now do drugs. And we have to put them on a program. We watch them and monitor them while we give them uh, their IV antibiotics because like, we can't put a normal IV in there because their veins are bad. So, I mean, so you're dealing with the attitude, the withdrawal, and then you know that when they're done, they're just going to do it all over again. So majority of the time I see a recurrent rat, like I see them all the time. We call them like frequent flyers. So, so that's where like a stigma of drug addiction does come from as well. Cause it's just like, you don't even care. Like we're teaching you these things. We're giving all this time and effort with you. You're here for months. And you're going to be back and we're going to have to do it all over again. Yeah, well, honestly, I'm, I'm very surprised that, like, you guys, that's a main aspect to, like, talk about other aspects and avenues that they could possibly go down if they are struggling with that. So, like, that's good because, honestly, I just thought that they were just like, here you go, you get, you get a pill, you get a Zanny. Nah, I know that in <laughs> Pennsylvania hospitals now, like, if you go to the emergency department or, like, anything trying to request pain pills, they won't really give it to you. They're really hesitant now because look at Philly, Kensington Ave. Like, oh my gosh, look Kensington, at all the places yes. in Pennsylvania. They yes. will not really prescribe you any type of opiates. And I honestly, I think, I don't know if it was when I got into my car accident or it was for like something else, like my back or something. They tried to send me to pain management. I went to one appointment and I said to the doctor, I'm not, ta- I don't want to take any type of pills. Right. And then they gave me like some type of like, cream or something like that to you i never really used it but yeah something like that but like it wasn't really probably going to be effective as but they thought that i needed to go to paint i'm right and that's crazy i I do also want to go back to the whole marijuana thing that's a taboo subject as well as along with the pain management and you know prescribing opiates Mm -hmm. and and all that but i did have a friend she had cancer and she it was i mean rest yeah rest in peace stuff she sadly lost her life to cancer um but i know when she first started doing her uh, chemo and all that they were pumping her full of some crazy stuff and she was like she she was still going to work during all this too and i would 
knew like when she would come back from her treatments because she would just be out of it like hella loopy and she was always saying like I hate taking this stuff and I was like have you thought about medical marijuana and within like three days she got it right away and I'm like girl how's that pain hitting you know how are you feeling off of that she's like I feel so much better I can actually eat like I can actually function instead of taking the opiate but drugs. the thing is not a lot of I don't think I think we're Nicole and our anonymous guests are they're in North Carolina so they they're not different. down south they are so hesitant I feel like to pass medical well, marijuana it's not it's not even legal in for medical marijuana down there and honestly I saw that y'all need to get your governor together Come on. Write a letter right. I know. It's, write not a letter. it's not the governor it's uh the republicans in Congress. So come on. Exactly. Now. I mean, we can write a letter to whoever. We got because... more. Oh, no. I, I've actually done that. And uh, Richard Burr said that he would never let medical marijuana in this state or any legalization of marijuana in this state because he said it destroys family. And my response is it's only destroying families because it's illegal. Exactly. Period. Literally. Say it loud. Right. I have had patients come in. Um, one <laughs> gentleman, probably like, late 70s um and he was referred for pain management and he was just there he said you know i how do you how do you feel about medical marijuana and we we basically were like if that's why you're here we really can't help you he did not want any medications he has tried every alternative therapy he was independently going to aquatic therapy and he just wanted to try something that he said one of his buddies was like here try this and he said I was so relaxed and I had almost zero pain for the whole day so people can actually function then like if people are having stomach problems like Sierra does she has her medical marijuana card up here and I could only imagine if you're having a bad stomach day and you still need to eat it doesn't even just help me for my stomach like I have really bad anxiety like they have me on anxiety medication that I don't really want to take the medication because anxiety medication obviously alters like whatever levels are off so I don't want to take that so like if I have to alright I will but most of the time, my medical marijuana is used for anxiety and for all that. And also, personally, I feel like the North Carolina Republicans and all that, they don't want to pass this because they're getting between $560 billion to $635 billion annually just for chronic pain. Chronic. That's not even the... Right, but if like, they think, if you think about it, when what, what was it? I think it was like Colorado or one of the states that went fully recreational. I think within Colorado. the first day, Colorado, they made they, like... They stood out of debt. $60 million dollars the state of Colorado of was out of debt the first 24 hours that they opened the medical marijuana. The state of New Jersey was basically exactly, almost out of debt. That's why, like, other countries are, like, legalizing drugs in general. First of all, you're getting rid of the black market, and now we're making money off of it. Exactly. I think, what, is it Washington State that everything is legal? Hallucinogen, anything. Damn, There's one that. state. That is, I want to say it's like Washington State. So I could go pop a PCP real quick and go get everything, funky in the street. Everything is legal. <laughs> everything, yes. I'm pretty sure. I'll, so from my standpoint on marijuana, like definitely like huge proponent of it. I actually just did like a research paper on it. Got a 95. I hey. did. Um, <laughs> so we do have a drug. It's called Marinol. It's like a derivative of marijuana. It's supposed to be for people that like feel nausea, can't eat, things like that. But I had um, a family member recently pass away from cancer, and we got him uh, honey with marijuana in it, and it honestly like did all the difference. Um, 
doctors are definitely there for it, but it's just like that federal law, like in North Carolina law that they just can't really do anything. And then going back to like certain doctors, I mean, people like won't give people pain medicine if they ask for it. I feel like that certain doctors like, and they'll look through your history. So I've had a patient with polypharmacy in his history with broken ribs. And the only thing they would give him is Tylenol. And then like another patient with same history different situation though but I mean like still around the same pain and like different doctors and they're like yeah let's give them some oxy like whatever don't y'all do the the PDMPs before you even prescribe anybody where like you you see where and who and what they're getting already isn't that am I saying that yeah so one part of what I do I have to prep the charts before we see all the patients so like the day before we already know who's coming what they're coming for you know what the plan is for the next day um every patient's pmp is pulled so what that is is like it shows all of your pharmacy fills so even if you fill medication that is a controlled substance it's well controlled substance fill um log basically but if you fill like a medication for your pet that's a controlled substance it'll be listed on that PMP so we know like what our patients are getting so if you come to us as a new patient maybe and this also helps determine what they're treated like how their care route goes like if we're going to treat your pain but we're also going to treat for like opioid use disorder if you come to us on referral for chronic back pain low back pain or something and you had a motor vehicle accident like 2000 and you had a spinal fusion whatever um and your your pain is just uncontrolled unless you have oxycodone okay so we'll pull your pmp you come to us and you know one of the questions that i'll ask is um when's the last time you took medication well i'll already know when the last time you filled it how many you filled for um you know how many days it was who the provider was it's all documented so i try to give them you know i don't want to say like i try to catch them in a, in a lie but that's how you know if they're if they're going to be honest and open and tell you like okay yeah so I filled this on this day and, and this I took it this morning or some people will say yeah I haven't had anything since whenever and but it's like okay well this says that you just filled two days ago and you had you know 90 oxycodone 10 tablets um, so you still have those, right, you know, that go? would be the question right. or where did they go or what are you doing? Or do you, and that's when you really get real and you're like, listen, like, I understand you may have pain. Um, but do you feel like you possibly have developed a dependency because they're, you know, people are more open when you, I don't know, you just don't say like you have an addiction mm-hmm. issue because a lot of them don't really recognize it. A lot of people just don't recognize it. And as far as people going to the ED asking for pain medication, it's such a hard thing because it's like, okay, yes, I can see this person has had an issue. They're a frequent flyer. They're constantly requesting this one specific drug because this is the only thing that works because that's also a red flag. Right, right. Yeah. And I saw that. The, the yeah. Or if they have, um, you know, uh, what is that word that we use? I can't even think. Yeah, the misuse right like now. Like the allergy situation. Yeah. But anyway, right it's being allergies of convenience as well. Oh, I can't take that. What happened? Yeah, if they're allergic to everything, I really and I can't have acetaminophen in my oxycodone, I things like that, then then that's another red flag. But it's like, um, 
then you have patients that literally have a pain and it should be treated with a controlled substance and they're turned away with Tylenol. So what do they do? They hit the streets. Well, now we have this fentanyl crisis and people are dying. You don't know what you're taking when you purchase it from the street. Um, So it makes it really, which is really scary. So um, I had a group of patients, well, like not all of them, but it was, they were a group that came in together, but it was a bachelor party and there was about eight of them. They were all doing cocaine and I'm going to say like, I think like three of them died and we like found out like they were fentanyl in their cocaine. So it was like your heart is basically doesn't know what it's doing. Right. Yeah. So it's really scary and it's really hard and it's a really tough thing, you know, pain. But I want to flip back to like the actual. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on real quick because uh, we did find a statistic here. Sierra, you want to you wanna let them yeah. know? Because it goes along the lines of what you were talking we were about. The about misuse the misuse and like that. how they just constantly want it. The misuse of prescription yeah. opiates causes 17,000 overdoses annually. So all these people that you keep saying coming in, like you don't know where their prescription are going. A, they're either and not only that too. I think you found something as far along the lines of like people being um, su- suicidal ideation. Oh yeah, off of that too. And I think Nick, we did talk about this before too. Oh yeah. no, this was for nurses though. The suicidal oh, ideation. Oh, I thought nurses. I thought this was for like the no. opiate thing. Oh, no, okay. for opiate. I mean, opiates no. obviously is probably up there because if they can't get it, then any person that's like that, they're gonna obviously want it all the time. Right. Yeah, and they'll do whatever they can to get it, and it's really sad. I've seen. But I, I love my job because what like what we do, like I've seen people get their children back. I've seen people, you know, like completely turn themselves around to where they come in one day and it's like, oh, who is that? And it's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe like you look so different now. You look so good. You're healthy, you know, and they're happy. You know, we've had patients come in and, and get treatment and get help and then come back like, you know, months later and they're like, oh, my gosh, like, thank you so much. Like, here's my daughter that I haven't seen in two right. years or whatever. So it's like, I mean, I, lo- I love my job. I wouldn't change it for, you know, anything because I wish, honestly, that I had known something like this existed for a long time because there's people that I could have said, hey, like, you need to go to this place and get help because, you know, things here are not easily accessible, like, for mental health and things like that. And a lot of times that's what turns people to you know misusing yeah we've had mental institutions basically like closed down I have a friend that's a judge and she was like I honestly really hate having homeless people come in like and be arrested because she's like I'm not gonna like convict them of this crime because like she's like what are they gonna do she's like basically like it's a mental health situation and it's not really their fault and they're just here because they were on the street and a cop arrested them because cops sometimes just don't know what to do. Uh, (laughs) Me working in the correctional when I worked there, we had multiple homeless people that would literally get out. We'd release them within not even 24 hours. They would do something stupid purposely just to come back. Like one threw a brick through a a window in downtown Easton. And when he came back in, we were like, we just let you go. Not even 24 hours. He was like, I didn't have anywhere to go. I didn't know what to do. But no, just, really just to kind of wrap up this aspect, because I do want to go back and talk about the uh, like the shortage and the um, shortcomings as far as like nursing is concerned. And like uh, with our anonymous guests, I think you, you mentioned that when we first started. But I think it said that if you exercise, yeah, it decreases possible chronic pain by 60 percent. So do you like mention that to your patients as well? Like, hey, just just 
exercise? Is that even a thing? a lot like I mean that's where kind of like yoga comes from so it's like the movement like you're gaining flexibility you're gaining like you're opening up your muscles you're you're moving around your joints like you're getting the kinks out basically yeah stretching is a big thing um the provider really really tells a lot of our patients you know like if you you know do these stretches and I do a lot of patient teachings on different exercises as well like for strengthening and stuff like that so yeah definitely we do that we do a lot of that and if they can't do it independently then we send them right over to physical therapy yep yep and that's the thing my boyfriend his back is jacked like i don't care what anybody says he needs to go get some help and brad if you're listening (laughs) boo you need some help because your back is jacked like he has he has scoliosis okay first of all second of all he has like sciatica or some bs like that whatever the case may be but he's always stretching and then like a couple days go by and he's like oh my back hurts so much i'm like well have you stretched no you gotta keep doing I'm like, it that's I, why your back hurts like hello yeah i actually get sciatica a lot and like i love yoga i tell him to do like a figure four pose oh, he be doing it all i mean like what are you yeah. i can't even stretch like that but he's yeah, very flexible because he constantly stretching though. yeah no, but okay, just to let, let's segue back to the, the nursing thing, because I think you also said um, that after COVID and stuff, like nursing kind of fell through as far as people wanting to leave, not fell through, that was the wrong word to say. So there were actually a lot of things going on, um, like around COVID time. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Real quick, I saw in March 2022, American Nurses Foundation and the American Nurses Association released the results of its COVID-19 impact assessment survey, which found that 52% of nurses are considering leaving their position due to primarily um, insufficient staffing, work work negatively affecting health and well-being, and inability to deliver quality care. In addition, 60% of acute care nurses report feeling burnt out and 75% report feeling stressed, frustrated, and exhausted. So what are your thoughts on that? Are you experiencing that yourself? Oh, definitely. So before COVID, I would say that the nurse-to-patient ratio, like on a med surge unit, you would have like four patients. A PCU unit would have three. And currently it's running about like you'll have six patients sometimes. Sometimes you'll be lucky and have five and sometimes you'll have seven patients. And I mean, along with COVID, like now there's more uh, like things you got to do pretty much. Protocol Um, type thing. Yeah, more protocols. Then it's like now you have to think about 
do you have a CNA tonight? And sometimes, like, you're normally running with one CNA. So, like, there's a whole floor of 40 people and you got one person that could help you. So, like, if your patient, like, does anything, what's himself, can't stand up and is, like, demented and wants to stand up, like, are you just going to go do it, handle it yourself? Or are you going to ask the CNA who is probably in another room and risk waiting and dealing with a bigger situation? Um, it's also... Yeah, I mean, like, it's like when we go back to the, like the whole nursing administrator thing, like he's basically someone who just sees a patient as a dollar sign. It's just like, well, dealing with a patient normally takes fifteen minutes. You have six patients. Why can't you finish your assignment? And they want you to be fast, so you have an hour before to give medication and assess your patient, and then an hour after to like for, to give medication and assess your patient where it's considered late. So now that's a flag on your chart. They take these things in consideration. So, like, when you do, like, your year. It's it's literally like the McDonald's countdown clock. Like, when you pull the draft through, it's like you got three minutes. Get in, get out. And then it goes into the red. That's That's exactly right. That's crazy. I love that time when you got a free Big Mac. (laughs) (laughs) Can you pull over? Your fries aren't done yet. (laughs) (laughs) Your medicine's not ready. Pull up there. Yeah, like, you want a free, you want a free. Right. That's crazy. No, but another thing that I thought was like one of the reasons why before you mentioned what you were going to talk about, Sierra, um, that a lot of nurses were leaving. Yeah, obviously, like the administration, like you were saying, and, you know, them pushing you guys to work a little bit faster. I thought it was because the, the lack of nursing. So nurses. So a lot of the nurses are having to work longer shifts and longer hours but in actuality I don't know if that's I don't think that's the case from what I found like average I think it's a 12 hour work day yeah and like they want you out and so like honestly if you're taking a long time to get out they're gonna all like yell at you too but another thing is like say like hospital CEOs make like millions of dollars and they also get bonuses at the end of the year nursing administrators probably make at least like a hundred thousand dollars a year and these are people that never lay hands on a patient sit in an office and basically tell you how to do your job even though they have never been there they don't understand medication they've never put their hands on a patient it's like Grey's Anatomy and, when, when they yeah, changed like, to Sloan Gray Hospital and homeboys <laughs> on the board were like y'all need to get and they're like what what are you, you even doing it. Oh, you haven't seen Grey's Anatomy? Oh, you need to watch that. That's a gem. I'm sorry. Yeah, Grey's Anatomy is lit. <laughs> but yeah, like I had a when I was at LPN, I had a nurse administrator be like, we had a patient who was like nuts. He kept getting up, walking around, couldn't walk, but he didn't care. Kept falling down, and I was like, I can't take care of this one patient all night when I have thirty other patients to look after because like nurses can't provide one-on-one care. Like you just can't do that. Um. So the nurse administrator comes in and she's like, well, I don't understand like why we can't just like give him medicine to put him to sleep. And I was like, it's called a chemical restraint and you can't do that in a nursing home. Like that's illegal. And she's like, well, they do it in a hospital. And I was like, it's because that's called a hospital. Right. Yeah. You <laughs> said drug them and leave. Right. Yeah, pretty much. What? So like the shortage does take a big impact because there are a lot of people that stepped away. There were a lot of other things like not just COVID, like people got scared of COVID. That was terrifying for a lot of people, and they were not compensating in a lot of places for, you know, you working under this high-stress pandemic situation. Now you're obligated to get this vaccine that we don't know what your reaction is going to be, but your duty is to protect the public, so you have to have this. So, you know, me, I was, you know, first in line the second I could get it. 
I was very hesitant to get it for my family, but I knew that I was going to do this because I'm a nurse and it's my duty and they're telling me that I can't work without it. So, and it, you know, became like a regulation, like everywhere, like you cannot run your practice unless your staff is vaccinated. So that was like a big controversy within our job. There were a few people who, you know, were like, well, if I have to take this vaccine, then I'm just going to have to leave. It's also a violation of your constitutional rights, too, but yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, I got the vaccine, I got the booster, I'm still here, but there are a few people, you know, that I know who have lost someone based off of this injection. So that was scary. People didn't want to do that. So, you know, a lot of people left for that reason. Um, I think before, I want to say it was before COVID when, um, I think it was, yeah, it was definitely before COVID. It was the Redonda Vaught conviction that had a big impact on nursing um a little bit on redonda she was convicted of criminally negligent homicide and abuse of an impaired adult for a fatal medication error she made and that was december 27th background on that so she was a nurse they were i'm not gonna say the hospital names they were at a very known hospital well-known hospital she they were understaffed she had been working long hours i think it was like one of her last shifts of the week uh, she was helping another nurse. Instead of a anti-anxiety medication, she pulled out a paralytic agent. But how she did it was she overrode the system. So all the safeties that she had to protect her. to protect her, like well, some of them weren't working, like scanning the patient. The scanner wasn't working. The patient wasn't even like in her sight, so she couldn't scan the patient to get this medication or like to even check if this was the right medication like before she gives it like you scan the patient then you scan the medication and if it's wrong it's like this isn't the medication so, so that was like, gone the hospital because that wasn't no oh. uh, no that is not how this turned out so she gave a paralytic agent and the paralytic agent has like so high risk alert or high alert drugs are normally like red or orange like a bright color they'll say high alert and they'll tell you why so she pulled out Vacronium. Vacronium says paralytic agent. It's orange. You should stop. And then I feel like you also have to mix it, but I'm not sure. So, like, there was multiple things where you have to, like, she... But basically, there were a lot of things in, that were red flags that she totally just disregarded her. almost. But, and gave it to the patient. If you're on Vacronium, you're supposed to be on, like, a, something to help you keep breathing, basically, like a ventilator. And you're supposed to stay with the patient. And even if you, like, give someone an anti-anxiety, you're kind of supposed to monitor them, too. So she left the patient. The patient went down for, like, an MRI scan. And when they pulled her out of the MRI, she was brain dead because she hadn't been breathing. And she was paralyzed. So that was, like, a really deep thing. There was a lot of debate in the nurse world. Yeah, and then the, um, the hospital covered it up for a while. The family didn't even report it. Um, and then, like, like what documentary on netflix with that nurse who killed like over 500 people and he was like in pennsylvania yeah they'll let you go they'll like let you resign and they'll cover it up they don't have to take any like responsibility for it and maybe like have a payout but um so she did she did admit though when she realized what happened she did go immediately and say oh no i gave this paralytic medication and it was an error yeah so that happened but there was very long court there was an anonymous tip to the board of nursing that told on her 
So that's how it all started. And like it turned into a really big thing. The hospital basically blamed her for everything and didn't have any like any legal action taken against the hospital. But she was sued. She's no longer allowed to be a nurse ever again. And she almost state. got prison time for that. Yeah, she almost got prison time. She just missed it. So that kind of was like, okay, like we understand, like, now, yes, was she responsible for all of the mistakes that she missed? 100%. But let's say that she followed everything and somehow this medication was given and, you know, I don't know. It's just protection of nurses is like a big thing because it's like you don't really know if you're going to make a mistake mistakes happen people are people that's right and like you do everything that you can to not make a mistake but what happens if that mistake does cause harm or death and it was you know like how do you protect yourself so and it's like, based off, wait, crime, like and why question. is it con- question. It, like, it becomes a crime and then nurses also like are not protected at all. Like the board of nursing is not there to protect nurses. It's basically there to charge nurses for mistakes that they have made. Then so it, yeah, like um, so along those lines then like what do you think then needs to change? It seems like just having more I guess you can say realistic nursing criteria. Nursing unions um, are like held to high regard. So like California has a nursing union. Most northern states have nursing unions. Their nurses are paid more. They're staffed better. Um, and they're basically just like so when you're okay so safe staffing is basically like the bottom line there's research that has shown that once you have safe staffing like there's less mistakes less injuries less stress stress. and so it's just like if we could just do that like the morale rises when you have many hands to get the job done can I on Wednesdays can we have like free massages in the break room type thing like mental health (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) like break me yeah I'll feel a yeah, bit it's better. like you're working, you're working your short staff, you have like all these patients, like right, uh, my friend said earlier, the acuity, like you don't know who you're taking care of or what other issues are going to arise in the middle of whatever you're doing. And then say you do only have that one aid, um, you know, you're just, you're just stressed you're and you're coming back to it every day because it's not going to change we have the um travel nurse issue that came up there was a big debate in the nursing world world about travel nurses because they were like oh so since our nurses don't want to work anymore and they don't want to take like long-term jobs and all they want to do is travel we're gonna stop hiring travel nurses and that's what they did for a while but it was like you're paying these travel nurses are really like a big ton of money they get paid a to lot come of in money. yeah yes. and it's like i am here i'm dedicated to this practice or this facility or you know this hospital and you are paying me the bare minimum to do this job you know yeah it's just and i, I, you I know, saw- even cnas they have contractors for cnas now you can just get your cnas off of like a menu order them for a couple weeks and then let them go so if state's coming in it's like we need all the help we can get so let's prepare to have a full staff for when state comes in for our facility versus a regular 
month at wherever we're at, you know? Right. And so, I mean, awesome. that's, that's a good thing, though, that a lot of travel nurses are still like doing that and hopping state to state, because I did see that the U.S. is projected to experience a shortage of registered nurses um, that is expected to intensify as the baby boomers, the biggest population in America right now, are getting older. So like all these people are going to be sickly. I know when I first started college, they're like, go into health care because you're going to have guaranteed a job because all these people are getting older and they're the ones that are possibly retiring from having a long career in nursing and now they're going to be the ones that have to be taken care of but there's there's so many shortages and people not even wanting now to even go into nursing because of what you guys just talked about all the aspects that they have to deal with every day and and just going to work not even their patients it's just the administration and you're risking like your livelihood every day because okay so honestly um NC Supreme Court ruled that even if a nurse carries out a doctor's order and it harms the patient, the nurse can now be charged criminally. Yeah, and that doesn't make sense. Yeah, because they said that, like, we know so much now. It's like, well, then pay me like a doctor. It even went so far as to some other companies um, have went so far as to control what is documented. So say you receive, like, an order from a doctor to go give this patient this medication or whatever. Well, they were saying, like, from now on, we're not going to put the doctor's name in the, in the notes. So it's like, so how do I document that? Dr. Agor told me to do this, you know, without noting who I spoke to or who, you know, it's just, it was just like strange little things. And then you have these nurses that are saying, well, why? Like, why are you telling us to do it like this now? So, so if something happens, it's going to come back on me. And then there's no proof, there's no documentation that he really said to do this. So, you know, it's like protection. It's, I don't know. Yeah, and I did I did see that the states projected It's just to have, getting strange. Yeah. It's it just is. getting a little strange. Yeah, the states projected to have the biggest nursing shortages by twenty thirty, which is not even that far away. There are California, Texas, New Jersey, South Carolina, and Alaska. And And then also remember like during COVID, yeah, I thought it was crazy when people were like, Yeah, be a nurse, like you'll always have a job. I didn't think it would be when the entire world was shut down. Right, so right. like people got a break. Nurses still have not taken a break. Like from their job. Not only did a lot of us not take a break, but a lot of us were not compensated. Nobody, well, some people received hazard pay. Some jobs like increased wages. Some jobs compensated, but not in all places. All facilities received the stimulus where they could have, like, they made enough money where they could pay their staff hazard pay. But majority of those companies did not give it out to their staff. They just kept it. Right, I actually was going to ask you that, honestly, because I did see a lot of things that people, like nurses weren't even, they didn't receive any type of like... No, and I was honestly waiting for the government to do something because it was. There was a big talk like, hey, we're going to compensate all these healthcare workers and first responders. Um, what, what did they do instead? They just, like, stood outside the hospital and clapped for you guys. I'm pretty sure I saw, like, so many videos of that. And people were like, thank yeah, you yeah. for showing your support. But, like, financially-wise, we're all yeah, still here's struggling. Yeah, here's some pizza. You guys have a great shift. See you. And it's nice because here's some cold pizza that we already ate. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, it's, it's, you know, it's like, I don't know. I always had this high, like idea that you know oh wow like the nurses are the queens in healthcare um but when you're in that position not all the time is does it feel like 
you know, you're regarded as someone who's like treated with respect all the time. Um, I've been called incompetent by an angry doctor for not my mistake. I've been yelled at by family members because they don't understand what's happening. Um, and you can try to explain it to them and they're just not going to comprehend. Um, you know, it's just, this is tough. This is very taxing on your own mental health as well. So, in your so opinion, there's a lot with, of things. So, with all that being said, you're basically there's no good resources for like anyone in the healthcare. Like, do you guys have any good resources for you guys mentally? Like anything like that? Yeah, because my when I used to work for the state, we had this thing called SEEK, where any person that was related to me, you can call them up and get counseling services right away. But like. Do they offer that where you are? Um, I feel like they do, but it's not really like a... It's not credible. I mean, I'm not going to say it's like not credible. Uh, one facility that I work at, it's like they made you sign up for this thing. It's like you automatically got enrolled in it and then you had to like call them and unenroll from it. So every month, like the first month that it started, they would take $300 from you. And then like every month they would like take more money from you which was really, uh, it was just stupid. And so it was like, it was if you wanted like any mental health services, like any support. And it was just like, no, like I can find my own, stop stealing my money. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. And also it's really like, I think it's kind of difficult when you work somewhere and you're dealing with like this really high stress. And especially if you've reported it to whoever your superior is and they're just like, tough luck basically get back out there and do it because they're gonna make it seem like you just can't handle it or you're the issue or you know like well you know we can just replace you because even though there's a shortage for some reason there we're all like a dime a dozen there's always going to be a nurse that is seeking a job that they are holding applications that they're going to call the second you are too burnt out and too you know emotional or mentally you know unable to continue and you need like a mental health day you know it's like i don't know i just feel like it's it's kind of taboo to ask for help right really well just to kind of like we are the helpers (laughs) yeah and i mean this podcast definitely i i loved speaking with you guys today and all of that because we learned definitely a lot more like in depth of what you guys would deal with like every every day but what would you say uh to kind of wrap it up is the most fulfilling aspect of your job each of you and one thing that you think should change like immediately to help um help the nurses in in what they go through every day i love the tangible nature of helping somebody and just seeing like the fact that i have done this or like even like talking to a patient has changed their personality helped them out a little bit like basically increase their health and morale i feel like ways that people could help nurses like definitely support them definitely like try to listen and then like being a family member in a facility like be patient like we're doing a lot don't definitely do not argue with your nurses I can just call this aide I can just call facility police and they'll just come get you like I don't have time to do with that (laughs) I mean like yeah and don't be mean to your aides definitely support your aides and also like nurses need to support other nurses like there's a lot of nurse on nurse crime (laughs) yeah we were informed um, whenever we did graduate to become nurses that, you know, be careful because nurses eat their young. And that is definitely uh-huh. a, yeah, there it's, it's kind of aggressive. It's, it's almost like a rugby sport when you're new somewhere. So 
you know, put your pads your on and suit <laughs> up real quick, right? Yeah. So, what about I would you, say Nate? the most. Yeah, I was gonna say the most rewarding part about my job is pretty much this. It's like similar. Um, I love to see people recover from their, you know, addiction and turn their lives around and become productive people and you know because they are people and they're not always treated such they don't have the support and I feel like I give them so much um I don't know I just put my heart into it I just love what I do I don't know my sister well, yeah that's our sister um but no thank you guys so much for coming on like i said this is like a great conversation sierra and i always like learning new things right. on top of statistics and research we've done um with ourselves but yeah i, I appreciate you guys coming on sure. and any last thoughts real quick before we finish it up sierra anything you want to say uh i just think I guess. So, yes, the medical and re- recreational marijuana. Yes, period. <laughs> period. Ah, period. Ugh. <laughs> I don't really have that many more thoughts. Like, I just learned a lot. I mean, healthcare field is crazy as a whole. So, right. you won't really know that much into it unless you are dealing with are, it directly. Exactly. Well, and so. I also want to say thank you guys as well because we do have a sick dad and I'm constantly dealing with nurses and doctors and stuff like that and it does. I always try to say thank you to them directly and like I appreciate you guys. So, I just want to say right now I appreciate y'all. Perhaps. Keep up the good work. You killing it down there in the ANC. You're hurt. Oh, and it's something that you can help your nurse with while you're in the hospital. Like, if you can watch a patient to the hot like to the bathroom like they just need guidance or anything. Like, just, help. just help them help me help them help me yeah. <laughs> you want to shout out the socials quickly? Yes. So our socials are Instagram, nameless underscore podcast underscore on Facebook. We are at official nameless podcast. Check us out on Instagram. We need nine more followers to get our hundredth follow uh, follower to yes. get um, free a free t-shirt. And also on Facebook, we're doing our 400th follower for a free t-shirt. If you help us get that 400th follower, you also get a free t-shirt. So give us a follow on all that. And on YouTube, the name is Pocket. Yes, we got a new video coming soon on YouTube. We do, because I, I totally forgot you're editing yes. it, but you are editing it right now. Well, it's in, it's in the works. It's in the works. All right, well, this is Alicia. This is Sierra. And you're listening to the Name is Podcast, and we will talk to you soon. Bye, guys. Peace out. Hey, what's up? Be the Change Hotline. We're closed right now. Leave a message, and I'll get back to you soon. Nameless? Hey, yo, is this Nameless Podcast? I heard y'all was being the change. Guess I missed y'all. I'll I'll see y'all later. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.